this uh, beautiful Sunday. And uh, like I said, we're in a series called, you know, Hills and Valleys. Hills and Valleys has been our series now for the entire summer. We've been in through Psalms of the Ascent. And so we've been working our way through Psalms. Uh, we started on Psalm 120, and we are now on Psalms 128. So if you have a Bible, if you don't have one in front of you, it looks like this. It's a blue ESV. It's on page number 298, Psalms 128. Psalms 128 is what we'll be reading today. And uh, we'll be going through that, and uh, that's where we'll be at today. I do want to start off uh, this message today just always telling you that sometimes people hear me preach things, they're saying, they, they think sometimes that I've got everything together, that you know, everything is just awesome and great. We're all learning here. Uh, and so you would find that most of the time when I am preaching, even when I'm telling stories, I'm preaching about myself. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching because I need this stuff just as much as you do. So I never want you to leave here and think, you know, they've got it all together. You know, Nick and Emily, they're so great. We're not that great. Uh, you know, she's great. I'm not. But, uh, you know, really think about that as whenever you leave here, never, ever think anything different than that. Because just hang out with us for a day and you'll find out otherwise. Amen. And so, like I said, I hope you've got a Bible. We're in Psalms 128. And uh, the sermon in a sentence today is, we are blessed when we work diligently, love abundantly, and give generously according to God's ways. I'm going to read that to you again. We are blessed when we work diligently, we love abundantly, and we give generously according to God's ways. My sermon title, Rooted Around the Table, Rooted Around the Table. And so we'll look at Psalms 128, we'll read the entire psalm, and then we'll come back and chop it up in three sections, okay? Uh, verse number one in Psalms 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. Verse number three, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Verse number five, and the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so if you notice here, even while reading through it, there's kind of three big chunks. You could say verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4, verses 5 and 6. And you can even notice, if you have a Bible, it even has them broke apart in those three ways because the psalmist has three pretty distinct things he's trying to get at. And so our first point is, we are to work diligently. We are to work diligently. That's point number one. And notice this in verse 1 and 2. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say those who know his ways. It doesn't say those who think about his ways. It doesn't say those who take a poll about his ways. No, it says, blessed are those who fear the Lord as well as those who walk in his ways. So you've actually got to do what he asks us to do. In verse number two, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So not only should you walk in his ways, but you'll eat the fruit of that labor and it'll be well with you. So if you did not know, this psalm was traditionally sung before weddings. Like when the Jews would gather, they would have a big wedding celebration and they would have a celebration that would go on for days. And they would do it very old school. If you did not know, the male of the groom in this case, he would be the one who would go and he would ask to marry the girl and he would go back to his father's house and he would build on 
to his daddy's house. Literally, it's how the Jewish community lived. He would add on another house, another room, and he would build on this house, this suite, to his already family home. And then whenever he completed his house, his father would inspect the work. And then whenever he was done inspecting the work and the work was all done, he would say, go get your bride. And this is where, if you read a lot of the Bible stories, you read about how the bridegroom cometh. That's what that means, because it would literally, the groom would go, and he would walk through the entire village, and everybody knew by the way he was dressed. Everybody knew by the way he was going. Everybody knew by his family behind him that they were getting ready to have a wedding. Why? Because the work he had done was complete. And so they would sing this psalm, and you think about how powerful the message is in this work. Because we're going to cover working, we're going to cover loving, and we're going to cover giving. And if you think about it, if those three categories, if you become a master, if you become successful in working diligently, in loving abundantly, and giving generously, you're a good person. I don't know about you, but that's somebody I want to call friend, right? And so you read here what he says. He says, you eat the fruit of your labor. You eat the fruit of your labor. What's amazing about that is we live in an instant culture where we want everybody's results without everybody's work. We want what our grandparents have when we're in our 20s. We want what our parents have when we're in our teenage years. And you see this automatic thing in this generation where they think things can be just instantaneous. We live in much more of a microwave society than a crockpot society. And it's bled in even to the church these days where you think if you have a big stage design, if you have a current message, if you have a band, then the people will come. Let me promise you, this is not the field of dreams. We build it, they won't come. We'll be settled with debt. Because the reality of it is, ladies and gentlemen, is you get what you work for. That you've got to put the work in because what you do today shows up tomorrow. We don't think that way. You see, we want that person's body without that person's exercise and diet. And we fold ourselves, think, if I can just take a pill, it'll make me in shape. That's not the way it works. Let's just all be honest. We all know how to be in shape. We all do. Work out more, eat less. But guess what? We never do it. Why? Because we don't have a knowledge problem. We have an obedience problem. And this hasn't changed. We want a happy marriage, but we want to do the steps it takes to have a happy marriage. You see, we see the success and don't see their seasons of hardship, of difficulty. I've never met an older married couple who will not tell you the first five years was terrible. Like literally, every married couple I've ever talked to, everybody who's older than me and much wiser than me, they always say, if you can just get over that five-year hump, baby, you'll be good. Uh, Because they'll tell you, like those first several years when you're truly mingling souls, when you truly are moving to each other, you find out that even though that towel has your name on it, you can't use that towel. You find out that's a decorative towel. And you find out that as much as you want to clean off your body with your towel that's got your name on it, you can't because it's reserved for guests. You find out all these things. You find out that your wife's okay with kissing you but not with using her toothbrush. Blows my mind how that works sometimes. I'll never forget that one day I left my toothbrush somewhere and we were traveling and I said, why don't you use yours? She went, ugh. And I was like, it's the same mouth. I don't know if you know me. At least I'm cleaning it. You know what I mean? But for her, it was like, ugh. Uh, and you find out who likes mullets and who likes beards with a toilet paper, amen? Some of y'all get that tomorrow, amen? Like, as for me in my house, it's the beard, amen? Nobody does the mullet. You need to get saved. Because I'm telling you, you find out these quirks and quacks and these little things about you when you get married, and they cause fights. 
I believe before anybody gets married, Kylie, write this down. You should do two things with somebody who's planning on marrying. You should do two things, right? You should always do two things. You should play Mario Kart with them. That will bring out true character. And you should hang curtains with them. Because those two things show you the depravity of the soul. Because I'm telling you, you've never had a knockdown drag out until you've hung a picture up together. Because you're going to have your way, and she's going to have her way. And you think, oh, we're just going to do this the right way. Let's get the tape measure, let's get the level, and it ain't going to go that way, brother. I'm just here to tell you today, it is not going to go that way. So you've got to find out these lessons of life. You've got to find out these ebb and flow. You've got to put the work in to get the results. But we don't want that. We don't want to put the work in. We want our church to go, but we don't want to share the gospel. To grow, but we don't want to share the gospel. We want our kids to grow up and be Christians, but we don't want to disciple them. We want all of these results without any of the work. And the psalmist says here what? You get the labor. You get to eat the fruits of your own labor. Because what you do today always shows up tomorrow. So you have to work diligently. You have to think about things and meticulously think, hey, what is going to get me there? You've got to reverse engineer it. You've got to think, hey, if I want to be there someday, what's it take to get there? You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. Even when you're in college, you have to have a plan or you'll graduate in seven years with a four-year degree. Think about that math. Because you have to have a plan. You've got to think, I've got to take this many hours, got to take this many classes, got to do this and this. And guys, let me promise you, the Bible is very, very clear on this in Proverbs and Psalms everywhere else that you have to plan and strategize. Why? Because life is hard. Life is extremely difficult. Even when you do things wisely, it is still difficult. But we want everybody else's results without anybody else's work. And we don't realize it took a lot of time to get there. Let me promise you something I'll never probably, you'll probably never hear me say because I, I firmly, I get really aggravated when I hear people talk about it. When I hear people really, really, really attack people who've done really well businessly, in business, I don't know if that's a word, amen. Uh, they've done really, really well financially. There's, well, there we go. I get really mad because people are like, they're so rich, they've done so well. They are to be, you know, they are to have it all taken from them. When you understand, they've worked for that. Every person you see that's successful, and you might think, no, they're all crooks. A small percentage of them is crooks, but a vast majority of them have busted their tail to get there. And they've got the skills and the mindsets to keep up that business going, so they are worth what they're paid in the workplace because they bring a unique set of skills to the workplace. You are only as valuable as the skills you bring to the table. And so that's why when the psalmist here has to say, he, he stresses that. He stresses that very, very carefully. You will eat the fruit of your own labor. You're eating the fruits of your labor. Now, here's the thing. I know many of you think, well, I've been eating the fruits of my parents' labor. If you're older than 20, you've got to leave that behind, victim. You've got to change your victim mentality to a victor mentality. Why? Because everybody in this room has a past, and everybody in this room has a future, too. And we've got to quit saying, well, it's my mommy and daddy's fault. When it ain't your mom and daddy's fault when you're 20 and you ain't got a job. It ain't your mom and daddy's fault. You've got to understand that everybody in here has come up from harder, started off rougher, didn't have nearly as amount of opportunity you have, but they've overcame those things. Why? Because they worked diligently. They've worked diligently. Because always remember that. What you do today shows up tomorrow. We want their success without their struggle. We want their struggle without their pain. We always think there's a shortcut, and there's not. The fact of the matter is, most of the time, the grass on the other side is greener because their septic tank's busted. Because I'm here to tell you today, it's not always better. You want to start somewhere? Water your own daggum grass. 
Water your own grass. If you want your life to get better, quit depending on other people to do it. Work yourself and make it better. We live in the greatest country on the face of the planet, guys. We have to work diligently. You have to work diligently. You have to bust your tail. You've got to work diligently. Because at the end of the day, you think about Adam. You think about Adam in the garden. I love this. As the individual, he worked diligently. He had a relationship with the Lord. He had a home. He had a job. And he had all that before he got a woman. Amen? He had all of that before he even thought about having a wife. He had all that. He had a relationship with the Lord. He had a home. He had a garden of Eden. And he had a job. He was working and naming the animals. He was doing all that before he even thought about bringing a spouse into the picture. Because at the end of the day, ladies, that if you, some of you that are single, some of you that are even dating, some of you that are even looking to have a potential spouse in their future, if you have to beg him to get a job now, you're going to beg him to get a job the rest of his life. I'm telling you, these are things that will not change over time. Because now, like I've said years ago, and I say it every chance I can, unless he wears a diaper, you can't change him. If he wears a diaper, you've got bigger problems. That's just a reality. That's just section number one. Hi. All right, section number two, uh, love abundantly. This is where I'm preaching to myself. My wife is going to be amen and amen. Uh, Psalms 128, verses 3 through 4. Look what it says here. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. We're going to start with verse number three, part A. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. A fruitful vine within your house. Now, I know I'm speaking to some of you who are very much older and more mature than I am, and I still, for the life of me, I am 31 years of age. I cannot understand how you can smoke a grapevine, amen? Like, I've tried to think about it. I've heard y'all tell stories about how, you know, you, we used to smoke grapevine back in my day. How do you smoke a stick, amen? Uh, I really don't understand it. Maybe you, you know, I had somebody one time leave some on my desk, and I was like, whoa. Uh, you know, a grapevine, like, this is blah. Because back when I was a kid, I'll never forget it, our, uh, our granddad who lived beside us, it was, it was uh, Larry's father, Papa Lauren, and he had a grapevine tree. Pat probably remembers it too, and he had it over there. And the thing is about vines, the thing is about grapes, you cannot allow them to grow on the ground. Because if they grow on the ground, the brand, the, literally the vine will keep growing and growing everywhere around you, but it's not good. Why? Because if it's on the ground... That means the insects and the rodents, everything else can get to it. So what you do in a vineyard, like if you were to go to Popper Toad, and I know a vast majority of you support them, uh, that's another sermon, amen. Uh, and so do understand, if you were to go to Purple Toad, they have rows and rows of what's called trellises. It's called a trellis, right? A trellis usually has four posts, or maybe even two traditional posts, maybe even one post, but it is designed almost like a tomato, you know, amen, tomato steak, where the sense where that vine will grow up around that trellis so that it can grow and flourish and be off the ground. So the psalmist here, look what he says. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So she'll produce fruit if she has the right standpoint to produce fruit from. Now, when I say fruit, I'm not talking about children here. I'm talking about she will be fruitful if she's given the right place to be fruitful in. Because the vast majority of the time, in most homes, it is a man and a woman fighting against each other and trying to do their own thing. This one's doing that, this one's doing that. When the vast majority of the time, you could have great success if you both chase the same thing. Because a team of oxen work best when they're both pulling together. 
in the same goal, in the same mindset. But when you're chasing this and they're chasing that and you never want to hang out, you never want to be friends, you always got different goals, different aspirations, you're both fighting against each other and I promise you divorce is on the horizon. Because you've got to provide an environment for your wives to flourish. You've got to have a trellis for them. Because you think about the most popular woman in the Word of God is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, she probably is the most popular, but she's not probably the one everybody knows about the most. The one every woman knows about is Proverbs 31 woman. Lisa Turkus named her ministry Proverbs 31 ministry. Why? Because if you think about a woman in the Bible who nails it, it is the Proverbs 31 woman. Have you ever read that description? Read that woman, what she does? I mean, she's a go daggum getter, amen? I mean, she is getting it. Think about these characteristics she has. She is virtuous. She is faithful. She is respectful. She is strong. She is capable. She is talented. She is giving. She provides. She is modest. And she is a wife. And she's a mother. And I say all those things. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say she was second class. I didn't say she was beneath us. I didn't say she was a servant. I didn't say she was below us. She is equal with her husband in every regard. The only way, brother, that you are above your wife is responsibility. Let me just stress that with you over again. The only way you are above your wife is responsibility. And I would even say you're not even above her, you're below her, because you're supposed to be responsible for her. That is the only way. Do not think, well, I'm the man, I'm the, I'm the macho man, Randy Savage in my house. I lead the way. And let me promise you, if you make a major decision and you don't include your wife in on it, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. I'm talking about financially, I'm talking about anything that has to do with a major big decision. You ought to be a couple and talk about it and bring both sides to the table. Why? Because your wife has a radar. You, don't even, you, need, you can't even spell radar, amen? And she's got a radar. She picks up on things. I don't know what it is about women, amen? If every woman was a detective, cold cases would be solved overnight, amen? Because they can. They can just detect things. They know. They can just pick up on things. And you can't. You're trusting. You think everybody's your best friend and we're, oh, they're good. We're all right. We're all right. We're all right. And she's thinking, no, they're bad. Because you've got to listen to them. My good friend, Brother Jerry Merritt, calls Christy his voice of reason. Because she'll have a voice in his life. He'll say, That's the, the Holy Spirit goes with me everywhere. It's my wife. Amen. Because she will. She will correct you and make sure you're taken care of. And she will be a fruitful vine if she's in the right place. And what I mean by the right place, I do, not mean hiker, I do not mean stereotypical place, like she's beneath you. If she's in an environment where she can flourish, then she will literally be a fruitful vine in your home. Because if she succeeds, you succeed. You show me a powerful, wealthy, successful man, and I promise you there's a wife who's been supporting him. You show me a powerful, successful woman, most of the time there is a man who's been supporting them. They work as a team. They work together. They work together. You've got to work together. You've got to be a husband and a wife. You've got to say, hey, we're better together. We do everything together. We made vows. We're going to do this together. Because I'm telling you, if you provide an environment, she will be a fruitful vine in your house. And you might be like, some of you ladies, amen, tell them men. Proverbs 31 woman here, watch out. The problem in our society is a lot of the times we have a lot of Proverbs 7 women pretending to be Proverbs 31 women. Ooh. What about Proverbs 7 woman? Who is she? The Bible calls her an adulteress. Ooh, we're going to step on some toes today. Listen to what the Bible says about this Proverbs number 7 woman. She dresses like a prostitute. She is loud. She is wayward. She's never at home. She's smooth talking. She's a family killer and a home wrecker. 
So some of you parading around, I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. No, you're a Proverbs 7 woman. Because the reality of it is, let me promise you something. There is a great deal of respect that should be paid whenever a woman is really trying to devote herself to her home and really trying to devote herself to her kids and her husband. And it's not a second-class thing. It's not, sometimes in our society today, we say, well, she's a stay-at-home mom or she's a working mom. And, this, uh, and let me tell you something. Women cannot win these days. You can't win if you stay home. You can't win if you go to work. You're always losing every which way you turn. And at the end of the day, you've got to remind yourself, my job is not to please society. My job is to please the, the Lord. And what would the Lord have you do? The Lord would have you to dress modestly. Dress modestly. And I'm not going to say much about this because I know we've got several of our women here. Obviously, you dress modestly. But do you understand, in our day and age, it's almost like you don't have to even worry about anything other than this because at the end of the day, you've got to remember, daughters are looking at how your wife dresses. And they're taken. That's how you're supposed to dress. That's what you're supposed to wear. Our society is looking at us. And I'm not saying we go full-blown, we're, you know, skirts to the ankles, and we go just eye slits, amen. I'm not saying any of those things. But also, it should not be able, easy to say, hey, I know everything she's got because she flaunts everywhere she goes. And we live in a day and age where that says it, because the Bible says it like this, the things you have, ladies, is there for the enjoyment of your husband, and the things you have, men, are there for the enjoyment of your wife. And if you're dressing to catch the eye of somebody else besides your husband or besides your wife, then I would say that's sin. I'm going to say that to you very plainly. I would say that's sin. Because you should not be dressing to catch a co-worker's eye. You should not be dressing to catch uh, that person's eye. You should be dressing, hey, what does my husband enjoy and what does my wife enjoy? Because your body is a gift to your spouse. Your body is a gift. So the Bible calls it to be. You think about that uh, in Proverbs number 7, she's never at home. She's always out at the city gates, is what the Bible says. She's always to and fro. You should be a team. If somebody sees you walk in the door, the first thing out of their mouth should be, well, where's your, where's your spouse? Where are they at? Because you should go everywhere together. Go everywhere together. The only time you should ever be separated, for the most part, is when maybe you're having a girls' night or when you're having a bachelorette party. But let me tell you something. It should not be every weekend you're out in the town with the girls while the husband's at home taking care of the kids every daggum weekend. It should not be that way. Because you're a team. You had kids together. It's amazing in our day and age, we'll share DNA with each other, but we won't share a name with each other. Ooh, I'm about to step on some of y'all. And I'm saying that very, very cautiously. It's amazing in our day and age, we'll share a bed with somebody, but we won't share bank accounts. Some of you, you sleep with somebody every night, but I ain't getting my bank account. We sleep in the same bed, but we won't share bank accounts. Once again, yours, mine, and ours is ours. Every dollar I make on my paycheck is just as much Emily's as mine. You might be like, well, you went to work. No, we went to work. I can't do anything out of it. These clothes I got on, guess who washed them? Not me. How do you know why? Because they go down past my waist. Amen. If I was still single, they'd be up here. Y'all know. You've been with me. Everything I do in life, every success I have behind my name, every degree I'm ever going to expire to get, everything I get is a credit to her behind me, supporting me, helping me get there. That's just the truth of the gospel. It's amazing. You'll snap him, but you won't date him. We're just talking. You'll snap him, but you won't date him. It's amazing that we have all these girls parading around and they're really sad when they come home with a boy. Well, quit acting like a girl. and you'll bring, If you quit acting like a girl and start acting like a woman, you'll bring home a man. Because the vast majority of the time, the reason why you keep getting boy after boy after boy after boy is because you keep acting like a girl. Have higher standards. Well, none of the boys meet my standards. Wait. Well, he don't look good. 
lower your standards. I'm just going to tell you, lower your standards. Why? Because you're parading around. I'm a 10, sweetheart, you're a 7, amen? I love you, but you're a 7. Because at the end of the day, I say this out of love to you. You're waiting for Mr. Right when I'm telling you you're going to be end up dating Mr. Wrong because Mr. Wrong is wrong. The Bible does not focus on physical traits hardly ever. Did you ever notice that? It doesn't focus on physical traits. The woman in the book of Proverbs never says anything physically about her hardly. It's about her character. Because let me tell you something. Over time, your hair is going to get thinner. Your gut's going to get bigger. Gravity's going to take over every pretty body part you have, and it's going to get lower. Amen. I say that out of love. And you're going to be looking at them thinking, well, man, they used to be hot, and now they ain't. You know what you're going to do? You're going to break up with them and date somebody half your age because they look better. And guess what? You're going to repeat the cycle over 10, 15 years. When there's beauty in just growing old with somebody. There's beauty in looking back at pictures. Look at them babies. Look at us. I mean, we didn't have wrinkles. There's beauty in seeing two people who've been together for a long stretch of seasons. And you're never going to get there if you keep thinking all day long, well, I've got to have Mr. Perfect. I've got, I got bad, bad news to tell you, sweetheart. There, he didn't exist. Every man's got flaws. Every woman's got flaws. Two sinners are going to say, I do. Two sinners are going to say, I do. And they're going to be jacked up. And you might think, well, they, they got too much baggage. You have baggage. Everybody comes into marriage with all their bags packed, and they don't even, they even bring in their emotional stuff with them, amen? And then about four years into it, you have an argument, and they're like, wow, here we are. <laughs> and he thought, man, why didn't he just pick up on the report? Because I'm telling you here today, the truth of it is we are called to love abundantly. So guess what? When we're fighting, I still got to love her. When we're mad, I still got to serve her. I don't get to quit. I don't get to give up. Why? Because I said vows. And I'm telling you, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Guys, we have to be these kinds of people. That's just for the vines, amen? That's just for the women. Look what it says here, the, the second part. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I know I'm saying a lot. I'm saying a lot. It's just all truth, though. Uh, your child will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Did you know olive trees are pretty miraculous? Olive trees are so miraculous, if you did not know, there are olive trees in Greece that are over 2,000 years old. So that means there are olive trees you can go to right now, get on a plane and fly to Greece, and you can literally look at a tree that was here whenever Christ walked the earth. That's mind-blowing. And they're still producing fruit, still producing olives. But the thing is about olive trees, the very, very particular thing about olive trees, is they're very, very, very needy. They're needy. Like some of you, you're like me, my aloe in my plant. Emily calls me her plant daddy because uh, I have my little plants around the house. Don't make fun of me, Jake. Uh, you know, I got all my little plants around the house. I water them, take care of them. But I've got an aloe who, it's just finicky. It can't be too much sun, can't water too much, you'll kill it, you'll drown it. Drew's got a basil farm in his backyard, don't make fun of me. Uh, and, and I say all this, why? Because that aloe is finicky, because it has, has just the amount of sun, it can't have too much water, it's very, very finicky. An olive shoot is just as finicky. Olive trees can only grow in rocky climate. Like, they've got to have rocky soil. They can't have loose, they can't have firm, it's got to be rocky. It's got to have a little bit of looseness and a little bit of rockiness to it. And that's why they only grow in certain climates around the, year, around the globe, why? Because the soil has to be rocky. 
Because here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. We live in a day and age where we are hurting our kids more than you ever know. Why? Because we settled, instead of having strong kids, we settled for safe kids. And there's a big difference here between a strong kid and a safe kid. A safe kid is I'm not going to let my kids do anything. I'm going to keep them inside, keep them inside, keep them inside, keep them inside, and they're not going to go outside. They're never going to climb a tree because they might fall and break their arm. They're not going to do anything, and we have to be safe. Got to keep everybody safe because there's, there's people in the neighborhood that are sketchy. You know, we live in the better, and I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's sketchy up in here, and we, let me tell you, it's, it's weird. It's wild. We can't let them play outside. We can't let them play outside. Did you know there's a recent survey that released that, that said that the average amount of time a child spends outside is less than seven minutes? A day. Less than seven minutes a day. So we got safe kids. We got safe kids. Safe kids that they do exactly what they're told all day long, but let me tell you something, they're not strong kids. Because strong kids is whenever you have an, 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 an opportunity to teach them about something, how something can be dangerous, you teach them, hey, there is danger. You climb that tree, you could fall off. You express danger to them, but you also educate them on what the dangers are, and then you eventually have to turn them loose. Because you want your kids not just to be safe, you want your kids to be strong. You might be like, Pastor, what does that even mean? It means that, listen, when persecution comes, the safe kid will give in because his safety is more important than his values. And at the end of the day, we have to raise strong kids who are like olive shoots that are strong, grew up in strong soil. Why? Because the world we live in is hostile. The world we live in hates us. And we have to educate them about the stuff and tell them the truth about a man and a woman and say there are not 64 genders, there's just two genders by God. Amen. We have to raise them in this way. We have to raise them, teach them the truth about God's word. And we have to let them be strong, showing them, hey, no, that's not right. Well, my friends do this. I don't care what your friends do. Your friends ain't following the same God we are. In this house, we do this. Well, I don't like that. Too bad. You don't get a vote. Because we live in this day and age where kids have all this say and all this stuff. And I'm here to tell you today, if you let a kid do what he wants, he'll never go to sleep. He'll eat junk food. They cannot live on chicken nuggets and macaroni. See me, I'm thinking, he just exposed my diet. They can't live on those things. You have to tell them over and over again, no, you're going to have this going to have that. Because I'm telling you, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to raise strong kids, not safe ones. We have to. You notice right there, where, where does the shaping and forming happen? It happens around the table. There will be like olive shoots around your table. The problem with our kids is they're not around the table anymore, they're around the Xbox. The problem with our kids these days is they're not around the table anymore, they're around the iPad. The problem with our kids these days, they're not around the table, they're around the ball fields. The problem with our kids is they're not around the table, they're around somebody else's table. And I'm a firm believer the most important piece of furniture in your entire house is your dining room table. That's the most important piece of furniture in your entire house. So if you can't afford it, if you can get a big, nice one that's long, has a lot of, ta- a lot of seats to it, get that bad boy. Show it off every time you're around and say, people are like, man, y'all must really like people. No, we love our kids and we love their kids. Our house was like that growing up. We, had, we were poor, but you would know why, because we always had friends over. My mom was always like, oh, this person's coming over. She'd always ask, are you hungry? No, I'm good. No, you're going to eat with us. I don't want to eat. You're going to eat. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you did not leave hungry. But guess what? That bar at our, 
house, it shaped us in a way. We all had our stools. Like literally, I remember I sat on Pat's stool one day, he's like, you're in the wrong seat, brother. His seat was that middle stool. I kid you not. I sat by mom. He sat in the middle. And Thomas sat at the end. Larry sat at this end. And mom sat there. He'd be like, how do you know that? It's been like 20 years because it mattered to me. You've got to have that, those meals. Put your phone down. Talking to you, Dad. It's a no phone table. Nobody's on their phone. Dad, them look at the score. Put your phone down. Be in the room with the room with your kids. Ask them questions. It's amazing how food can make people talk. I believe every problem can be solved at a Cracker Barrel table. I really do. Something about biscuits and gravy calm the soul, amen? Because food is so good for us, and it's good for our kids, and it's good to have conversations. They'll be like olive shoots that grow up around your table. Some of you are thinking, well, we don't have a table. No, you've got couches. Even if it's the beloved show that is our family anthem through and through, my wife loves Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> We're like 60-year-old people we are. <laughs> we get home, we sit around, watch the news, watch Wheel of Fortune. Man, I can't believe I got that one. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but I'm telling you the truth. Then we're in bed at 9. I'm reading a book she's on TikTok. Don't get me started about that. <laughs> Don't get me started. But guess what? Esther is just now getting able to sit in a high chair. So guess what? Here, very, very soon, we'll be transitioning back to our table. Right now, we're at that season. I'm not saying this to be, I'm not saying this to be anything else. I'm just going beyond being transparent. We're at a season where it's very difficult for us all to eat together. But if you've got kids who are old enough to sit by themselves and use silverware, and you might be like, well, my kids, they just act a fool whenever they go outside. Because let me, ooh, ooh. Let me just say this. The reason why they act a fool at somebody else's table is because they act a fool at your table. I'm telling you today, they act a fool at somebody else's table because they act a fool at your table. So you pop that butt cheek and say, we don't act that way. You make them sit there and eat a meal, guess what? When you go out in public, they'll be looking around, look at these daggum wild heathens. <laughs> you think I'm wrong. Look at those families over there. And you know what their kids are thinking? Mommy and Daddy, what's wrong with them? And you think, Pastor Nick, you meddling. I'm telling the truth. You want olive shoots. Did you know Pastor Tony Evans, this is his life verse? This is his life verse. You might be like, well, Pastor Tony Evans, he's not that big a deal. His daughter's Priscilla Shire. That's a big deal. And she will tell you, as successful as she is in the theological circles of women, that she is only where she's at because her daddy made them eat at the table. The table matters. It matters. Point number three, and I'm about done, home stretch. Home stretch. Point number three, we have to give generously. Look what it says here. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon you, Israel. Look what he says here in verse number five. This is the, this is the close of the psalm. It's very, very important to get this. This is the catch, okay? This is the key to the lock. The Lord bless you from, look what he says there, verse number, like I said, you notice there at the verse number four, I mean verse number five, from Zion. So Zion is usually described as the city of God, Jerusalem. You may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. So the blessing comes from Jerusalem. May the Lord, do you see that in the text? The literary form is very important. That you may be blessed from Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, your grandchildren, do well. 
May you see these things. He says this because blessings flow from places. So think about this text wrote this way. The Lord bless you from church. May blessings flow from your congregation. Because that's what it should be. It should be a place where blessings flow from us. Well, we are a river, we're not a reservoir. There are churches out there, they have an abundance of, fir- of, of funds, and they hoard it. And they hoard it, and they hoard it, and hoard it, and they go, we're just waiting for a rainy day. Let me promise you something. We should have six months' expenses in the bank, don't get me wrong. We should have a pretty good emergency fund, but you get past that, you're no longer in the business of God, you're in the business of business. And you're more about, hey, let's build up our organization, so let's build up the kingdom. Because we have to remember, we are a river, we're not a reservoir. Because blessings should be flowing from us. How do blessings flow, flow from us? I'm glad you asked. The Bible specifically has two things the Spirit does in our lives. The Bible calls those the fruits of the Spirit. You've probably heard that before. Love, peace, joy, kindness. Y'all probably heard that self-control. These are all fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit is very general. What I mean by general, I mean that every person in there, if you are saved, you should have the fruits of the Spirit in your life to some degree. There are some people, they have more compassion than other people. They just do. There's some people that have more joy than other people. They've been given an extra measure, I would call that. But generally speaking, you should be able to see all of the fruits of the Spirit at play in your life. Because they are, they are general to every believer. Every believer who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them should bear fruit. Right? Would you agree with that? The second big way, though, is called the gifts of the Spirit. So think about fruits are general, you would think gifts are specific. Gifts are very unique to an individual a lot because God literally gives you gifts. Giftedness, you might say. Some people have the gift to preach. I, I believe, I, you might disagree, I have that gift, amen. I would agree that I'm gifted to speak, I'm gifted to preach, I'm gifted to study, I enjoy reading books, those are gifts I have. I am not gifted in other tasks. I'm not gifted in compassion. That's the thing I struggle with sometimes. That's not my ultimate gift giving, right? I struggle with those things. I struggle with a lot of other gifts. My wife could write a list for you, all the things I struggle with, amen? Uh, Because at the end of the day, I have some gifts, but don't have all gifts. But pay attention here. Whenever Paul is lifting out all the gifts, he, he goes on to say that they are gifts, and they are used for the building up of the body. Do you follow me there? Because here's what a shame, here's what a shame is. A shame is whenever God has gifted you in a way and you use that gift to make money in the world, but you don't benefit the church. What do I mean by that? We have people in our church who are very gifted financially. I firmly believe if they are gifted financially, they should have a hand in working with our financial team to make financial decisions. That's their gift. Some people look at spreadsheets like, oh my gosh, it's got numbers. Some people think, what's a spreadsheet? Because some people have different gifts. Some people love, like when a kid's got runny nose, let me get that thing. Some of y'all think, ugh. Because that's not your gift. But everybody in this church, follow me here very, very carefully. Everybody in this church has gifts. And maybe some of your frustration in life is you're trying to apply the right gift to the wrong thing. And if I use a hammer to drive a screw, both are going to be damaged in the process because the screw needs a drill and a hammer needs a nail. If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail to you. 
When at the end of the day, it can't be that way. Why? Because you've got specific tasks and specific, specific abilities that are just for you. And you get frustrated and you're trying to do everything else. And you're like, I just want to do what I was made to do. God gave you a gift. You've got to use that gift to build up the church first and then build the world or the workplace second. This is why when we give our tithes and offerings, it is the first fruit of the work we've done. So we pay the Lord, we give back a small portion to the Lord. Why? Before our mortgage, before our car, before our retirement, before all those things, we give God the first fruits because God is worthy of our first gifts. Make sense? You give God your best, not the rest. You give God your best, not the rest. Because Sunday is the first day of the week. Last week's over. Today is the first day of the week. Look at the encounter. I'm right. Ha! <laughs> first day of the week. You give God your best. You give God your first. You give God your gift. You give it to Him and say, this is, this is what I have to offer you. I love the old school Christmas carol. I don't even know if, I don't even, you, you can't classify the Christmas carol, but the little drummer boy. I love the lyric of it. He says, what I have no gift to bring. Ba-ra-ba-bum-bum. But he plays on his drum. I mean, I know it's not, it's not literally accurate. I know there was a drummer boy, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 6. There was a little boy with a drummer. I know it's not biblically accurate, but the concept is very, very true. But we should bring God our gifts. Because God has specifically gifted you in that area. And if God has gifted you in that area, you should, gift, you should use that gift for the building up of his church. So that, pay attention here, so that the church can benefit the community. Blessings come into the church so that blessings can be distributed from the church. If the church would be the church, you know what we would do away with overnight? If all the churches in the United States alone decided we are going to take Scripture serious, we would bankrupt the foster care system overnight. We would, in a good way. Because you know what we'd be saying? I'll take a kid. Me, I'll take a kid. I want two kids. I want three kids. We would, we would literally get rid of adoption. If everybody in the church who represented the church in the United States alone rose up and said, I'll take a kid, I'll take a kid. If we put our money where our mouth was, then we would defund Planned Parenthood overnight. Because we have so much resources going to crisis pregnancy care systems that we would have so many resources, we could even lobby and say, no, we're shutting them down. But the sad majority and the sad truth of it is, you go back to the very first verse. We know what God says, and we know what we do, and we can't ever line them up. Because we think at the end of the day, our gifts are for us. Let me promise you, God doesn't, need your, God doesn't need your gifts. But you know who does? Your neighbor. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. It's amazing how kindness goes such a far way in our cruel society. Do you know your neighbor's name? Some of you are thinking, yeah, we live next to him. They're here on a pew with us. What about the neighbor down the street? I'm going to tell you something old school you should do whenever you move into a new neighborhood. Or maybe you've got somebody who moves in your neighborhood. Take them some bait that's really, really good. Don't take them, yeah, I got this casserole, it's trash, take it to the neighbor. Don't do that. Go, go cut their grass. Because you know as well as I do, every man knows when they're cutting their grass, it's on. I gotta cut my grass. Why? Billy cut his grass, I gotta cut my grass. And thus starts the domino. But think about if you one day woke up and said, I'm on everybody's yard. That's a lot of gas, Pastor Nick. No, it's a lot of influence. 
That's a lot of kindness. That's a lot of joy. And you know what he's going to do? Men do this. Men are very, very critical about this. Son of a buck, I owe him now. I got to do something. You do. You might not say it. Somebody does something nice for you. You think, I got to get him. I got to get him back. And you know what you do? He might be like, why'd you do that? And you might be like, just come church with me. I get to just come church with me. You cutting blades of grass that cost you a couple dollars and a tank of gas could mean that man's eternity. You just got to be kind. When you're washing your car and your neighbor drives up, you want to do another one? They always do. It's like your brain sees a bucket of water. You want to do another one? Tell them, say, pull it in. I'll do it right here. I'll do it right now. No, 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 you got to do that. Insist. And no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it right here right now. That's what we used to be. Used to, you didn't go to the store, you need everything, you went to your neighbor. Hey, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Nowadays, we put higher fences up and don't even sell on the front porch anymore. Have big back porches, tiny, small front porches. And when the pastor comes over, we close the blinds. And we wonder why our kids are constantly in trouble. We wonder why our marriages are fading away. We wonder why our communities are going downhill. It's because we quit working diligently, we quit loving abundantly, and we quit giving generously. If you just work on those three things, church, I promise you, you'll never want for a friend, you'll never want for a good, good spouse, you'll never want for even godly children that ain't perfect, but they're trying their best. Because I do want, I want our kids to be olive shoots. I want to see their fruit. I want to see them doing such great things. I'm in my 80s and 90s. I want to see, like, man, look at all these kids. Gosh. You want to be that older couple? Y'all know what causes that, right? I want that. The only way I'm going to get that is I do things wisely. Because I was blessed to be a blessing. Through the hills and through the valleys, guess what? God calls us to do these things. As for me and my house, we're working on this. Some days, me and Emily are like, this is the best decision we ever made. Love you so much. Other days, like, go to the other room. I can hear you breathing. Go outside. Why are you still here? I live here. But guess what? Mercies are new every morning. Some days you're laying in bed doing rock, paper, scissors. No, it's your turn. It's your turn. She's crying. Please go. Go. But guess what? We signed up for this. And you're eating the fruit of your labor. So what seed are you sowing? What seed are you sowing?